Hi, I'm Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great and you had a great Thanksgiving weekend, some good quality time with your family and friends, and uh, hopefully if you didn't go all the way plant-based, at least tried to introduce some plant-based meals into that Thanksgiving itinerary. Uh, I had a full 100% plant-based meal that was outstanding and uh, definitely do not miss turkey in the slightest. Anyway, uh, the title for today's episode is Republicans are Gaslighting the Nation and What to Do About It. Kind of a little opaque title maybe, but I think the purpose will become clear over the next minutes. Um, And the reason I wanted to do an episode dedicated to this topic, as listeners know, I have been pretty harsh on Republicans for a long time. But as the impeachment hearings have gone on, and the defenses of Trump have continued to pace, and then just some, some interesting things in the last couple weeks that have really really soured me on any hopes that the Republicans in office will come to sanity. So it's really become kind of gaslighting writ large. We're just kind of pretending that there's nothing going wrong here and everything's fine and that we're the ones who are crazy to even go after uh, Trump. It's it's really gotten to kind of a comedy of of the absurd. That's that's understandable if you understand right wing politics but still just kind of shocking. And I think it's important because there's been some good stuff on the other end, which is how I'll end the episode, in terms of, I think, how we need to respond to this as a society. But I do want to begin with this, you know, uh, issue of Republican gaslighting. And I want to start by just saying what I'm thankful for right now in these dark times. So in this era of the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Kwanzaa, and Hanukkah, I am thankful, even though it is so dark, that at least Republicans and conservatives have shown their true colors and demonstrated their complete lack of morals and principles. And I'm, I'm speaking of Republicans who are holding office positions, federal office positions, and those in the general public who strongly support the president. The reason I'm thankful for this is not because I like the outcome, that I would like nothing more than for Republicans and the Republican Party to become sane, decent human beings and uh, come together in reality with the rest of society to actually try to build a better America. But in the absence of that, at least now we know that they're not even trying to fake it anymore, right? Even under the Bush years, And before that, you know, Reagan and and then Bush the first, there was always at least an attempt by Republicans to kind of mask their worst instincts, to deny the racism, to deny the anti-immigrant 
um, fervor. And in fact, giving credit where credit is due, Reagan actually uh, gave amnesty to millions of um, illegal aliens and uh, wasn't, you know, so virulently anti-immigrant uh, as, as the current GOP. And, and, and again, you know, Reagan had the Iran-Contra affair. We had Nixon and Watergate. We had, you know, we had Bush too with the, you know, Cheney and torture and the Iraq war. So it's not like the Republicans have been the paragons of virtue and good policy for the last few decades. But at least there was a fig leaf of trying to have kind of normalcy and, you know, civility. And, and, at, and at times I think it was genuine. And that is now completely and utterly gone, right? The Republican Party is a kind of a cesspool of right-wing fanaticism, conspiracy theories, and lies. And there is just something in that clarity that is, how should I say it, just, um, it, it saves us time from having to really dig deep into their motives or to really try to give them the benefit of the doubt. With, with a, a party so thoroughly corrupt, at least we can be very clear on whose side of the ledger they're on. And now getting into what's really prompted this episode is kind of some of the behavior of individual Republicans and right-wing media over the last couple weeks once this impeachment inquiry has started. It's really caught my attention. So to, to begin, though, I want to just say that Remember, there is a real beauty in the design of the impeachment process that I don't think is getting the attention that it deserves. And it is this. If the Republicans were to grow a spine, get a conscience, and realize that Donald Trump is a criminal and unfit for office, and to convict him in the Senate after the House impeaches him, their president would then be Vice President Mike Pence, a basically even more conservative theocrat. So the, 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 the beauty in this, um, in this transition of power is that the Republicans do not have to give up power. One of their own gets the presidency if they impeach Trump. So people like me who are arguing for Trump's impeachment and the other 51% of the country that sees things clearly that wants Trump removed from office, we're, we are rooting for a Mike Pence presidency. And so the notion that this is somehow partisan is belied by the facts. Mike Pence, in many ways, I think might even be more dangerous than Donald Trump because he's not as crazy and he, you know, he has an agenda that I think on, in a stealth way he could be pretty um, successful at. And you know, I think he could get reelected uh, or you know, elected in, in, instead of a Trump second term just as easily as Trump could. In fact, he wouldn't have a lot of the baggage that Trump has. So my point being here is that the, the people who support Trump are not doing it out of any kind of raw power politics and they don't want to give power to the Democrats because Mike Pence would be president if they were to, again, to do the right thing. Now, another thing before I get into some of the specifics here, we keep hearing these tales of how supposedly in private many Republicans, both in Congress and in the Senate, are sick and tired of Trump and they think his behavior is despicable, but they just don't want to say it in public. This, to me, is the epitome, the literal apex of cowardice. You took a oath to the Constitution to defend the United States and its rules and laws, and to not even be able to speak publicly against this two-bit criminal thug is just insane. 
And if you can't uphold, you know, uphold your oath of office to the Constitution, then what are you doing in government? So I just I'm so sick of hearing about all the talk in private. That's called a coward, and it's just really irrelevant. If you're not going to say it in public, I don't care what you think. I care how you act. So moving on to some of the specifics here. A lot of my thinking on this topic was spurred by a short clip I saw of Lindsey Graham a few weeks ago. And and this really got me thinking. I don't watch a lot of TV, but every now and then I'll watch a couple-minute YouTube clip that someone recommends to me. And this one was showing all of the things that Lindsey Graham had said about impeachment and the rule of law and also his, his opinions of Trump years ago compared to how Lindsey Graham is speaking today. And again, as you can imagine, it's like two entirely different people, right? The Lindsey Graham of today entirely con- contradicting the Lindsey Graham of two years ago, three years ago, etc. And what's so particularly shocking about Lindsey Graham's utter betrayal of his principles is that he was, you know, arguably John McCain's closest confidant and really good friend in the Senate. And Trump goes out of his way to shit on John McCain every opportunity he gets to shit on this war hero who has really been an icon in Republican Party politics for decades. And Lindsey Graham was his buddy, was his you know closest confidant. And just to think that he would throw his friend implicitly under the bus like that and, and suck up to a monster like Trump is an incredible, incredible just turn of events. But in, in this, and more importantly, I saw this clip of Lindsey Graham in, in the modern context, you know, defending Trump and just saying all kinds of outrageous propaganda and lies. And I could almost sense a smirk on Lindsey Graham's face. Like it looked like he was smirking, like he almost couldn't control himself because he knew what he was saying was so absurd. Just to make an example, you know, again, I'm a longtime plant-based uh, eater, vegan for almost 30 years. You know, imagine if I came out and I became the the chief spokesman for McDonald's and I got on TV saying how McDonald's is the best thing that ever happened for public health and the environment. It'd be pretty hard for me to keep a straight face saying that. And that's what it looked like Lindsey Graham was doing. And it just it just was shocking to me. So I go, wow, this guy is almost going to laugh on camera because he knows what he's saying is so absurd. And you have to ask yourself. What's going on in these people's brains that have made them just sell their souls in real time for the world to see? Moving on, in the last week, uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, the, the propagandist, white supremacist, just idiot on Fox News who took over, um, who was Bill O'Reilly's um, time slot when Bill O'Reilly got ousted for his idiocy, Tucker Carlson on his program during the impeachment hearing said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, you know, Russia, Ukraine, who cares? Why do I care about Ukraine? Maybe I'm on Russia's side. Yeah, I'm on Russia's side. And said he wasn't joking. Then later in the program, when clearly he had struck a chord because people are like, Tucker Carlson is on Russia's side and doesn't care about Ukraine. And he said, oh, no, of course, I was just joking when he had specifically said he wasn't joking. It was just such a bizarre moment, but it was like right wing performance art. I mean, here, Tucker Carlson is one of the 
um, Trump's closest supporters. He supposedly travels with him quite frequently and speaks with him on the phone. He's just, again, one of these people that's so far in on the con that for him to just say that, like he just doesn't even care anymore. Like I'm like again, it's George Orwell. You know, we're at war with Eurasia. No, we're at war with Oceania. No, Eurasia's our friend. Oceania's our friend. We're and he just kind of said it like the gig was up. He just like who cares? I don't care. Like I don't foreign U.S. foreign policy allies. Like, none of that matters. We just make up reality. And I just thought, why would he even be tempted to say that? And primetime TV, it was just a bizarre moment, but very much in line with the kind of insanity that we're seeing on the right on a daily basis. The final one that I want to mention here before the break is a little bit more subtle, but also interesting, which is Rich Lowry. He is the editor of National Review. And National Review, when Trump was running for president, had an entire issue dedicated to preventing his getting the nominee. And I, you know, I give them credit for that. They were on the anti-Trump bandwagon. And this was an uh, interview with him. He has a new book out on trying to put a smiley face on nationalism. And someone from Vox, Sean Illing, interviewed him. And his answers were very, very interesting because, of course, it came up, you know, you were really fervently against Trump. And why are you for him now? And, and again, to paraphrase a few things. First of all, he said Trump is not a racist, which is absurd on, his fa- on its face. And, and Rich Lowry knows better. Of course, he knows Trump is a racist. So the fact that he would lie and say that was kind of in- interesting. And it, it's it's extra interesting because... There's been a lot of racial history with National Review, right? William F. Buckley was famously known for being a, a pro-segregation and really against the civil rights movement. He was famously had a debate against James Baldwin and Richie pretty much, you know, uh, took the side of white supremacy. And so for, for a conservative publication that's been on the wrong side of racial issues for a long time, they, 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 they later on obviously came around to you know, thinking that that position was wrong. But but again, the, the history of the magazine is very, some pretty racist history. For him to just throw out there that Trump is not a racist, and he went even further and said, Stephen Miller, the the kind of the top advisor to Trump, who's really big on the, the white supremacy and the anti-immigrant fervor, and one of Trump's closest aides, he said he's not a white nationalist. And, I, and this is literally just a week or two after emails came out, Stephen Miller's emails, where he's forwarding white supremacist and white nationalist articles and websites to people and basically fomenting a whole kind of propaganda about white supremacy. And his policies have been 100% in line with a white supremacy agenda, a white nationalist agenda. So again, for Lowry to start out just denying the obvious, for just talking to Vox and saying, no, 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 2 plus 2 equals 3, trust me, 2 plus 2 equals 3, was just bizarre. And 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 then he kind of went on, and, and the real tell, though, was at the end where they said, you know, how can you still support Trump? And he said, look, if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie's on the other side, you know, what else am I going to do? I'm kind of forced to do it. And this is always the out, right? This is the cowardly out, which is... Hey, they want universal health care, I you know, and climate change policy. I'm against that, so I got to stick with Trump. And again, notice that what this says is since the other side I disagree with, I'll essentially tolerate anything, right? So the other side is so offensive to my policy prescriptions 
that I will tolerate anything, even a two-bit con man criminal. And that's the big tell, right? If, as a conservative, you are still behind Trump at this point, and you're going to just do stupid stuff like lie that he's not a racist and Stephen Miller isn't a white nationalist, then you're just not serious. You've just kind of backed yourself into a corner where you just, you want your tax cuts, you want your conservative judges, and you're pretty much telling the world, I'll do anything to get them. I just don't care anymore, right? And so his gaslighting was a little more subtle, but it was still gaslighting nonetheless. And, and Rich Lowry is about the closest to a sane conservative that you're going to get these days, except for a couple that I'll, that I'll mention after the, uh, after the break. But the, 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 the way I want to end this is, is that the right wing here, the conservative movement and the Republicans in, in office here, they're just not good faith actors. They just don't exist. They're in a world of lies and conspiracy and they'll just gaslight the nation until till the end of time. There's nothing that's going to force them to change if this outright corruption and criminality is not sufficient. So uh, after the break, I'll continue this with some more examples and then we'll switch to the more constructive part of the episode. Okay, so let's get a little bit more into the depths here of what's going on, because I think it's hard to really understand the severity of this without kind of outlining it in a little bit more uh, detail, right? And so you have many Republicans, right, who when they're on air, I, you know, you hear even a Mitt Romney, a Senator Ted Cruz, You'll even hear a couple people, Will Hurd, the supposedly moderate Democrat in the House who's, um, whose district is kind of on the Texas border. And they'll say things like, you know, of course, I don't like some of the things Trump says. And yeah, he should tweet less. But right. So there's always this kind of little caveat and a term. And I think we, we should focus on this deflection uh, closely for a moment here. Because let's, let's really analyze what it is they're saying. First, to put this in context, conservatives and Republicans used to argue vociferously that everything the president of the United States said mattered. That the president is the leader of the free world. Our allies, our enemies are hanging on every word. That you know, the president, by his, his actions and words, can change you know, financial markets and can you know, change the foreign affairs of other nations. So the, the conservative principle pre-Trump was that pre what presidents say matters, okay? So now, if Trump was just, you know, shooting off the hip a little and all that, and, you know, it was just maybe embellishing a little here and there, we could understand their comment about, hey, I don't really like what he says, but, you know, let's look at what he's doing on, on other issues. But that's not what's going on here. Right. President Trump is a pathological liar. He has some types of mental disorders. 
and he says absolutely batshit insane stuff every single day, right? Just every single day. It's not just, I don't like the tweets, I don't like this. I mean, he's saying crazy racist stuff. He's saying crazy stuff on trade policy. He's saying crazy stuff about our allies. And in in the impeachment hearings now, he was extorting a foreign power that's our ally, holding up military aid that Congress had had given them in order to get political dirt on a, a potential political rival. This is like such outrageous, beyond the pale, two-bit gangster criminality that you can't, that that's the tell there, that they just brush it off as like this little thing. You know, oh yeah, he kind of gets a little upset sometimes, blah, blah. Let's put aside that he's also been credibly accused of rape by multiple women. He's, uh, you know, a sexual offender by his own admission in the lead up to the election when he was talking about sexually abusing women, um, you know, just again on his own, in his own words. So remember also the same people who are, are asking us to kind of just look aside for what Trump says. Um, these are people who went after Obama because he wasn't wearing a flag pin or one day he wore a tan suit or he put his feet up on the oval, you know, the desk in the oval office and somehow that was a great affront to, you know, the dignity and integrity of the presidency. These same people are asking us to believe that a man who literally spends his day spouting lies, conspiracy theories, racist propaganda that it's somehow just, oh, that's just him talking when their whole careers they made a point of saying that what the president says matters, or again, they're just gaslighting the nation, right? That's the ultimate gaslight. For a Republican to be taken seriously, in my view, they should be outright condemning the president of the United States. They should be saying this is absolutely beneath the dignity of the office. This is destabilizing to the world. This is unhelpful. And they should be demanding, demanding that he stop it. Or that they will no longer support him. Now, again, in many ways, that that ship sailed a long time ago. We're you know three years, almost full three years into the administration. So, you know that should have been said really on day one. But that we're three years in, and these people have the nerve to get on Sunday talk shows and in interviews and just kind of pretend that it's all just kind of little little good fun, just boys being boys, when it's the president of the United States doing this outrageous stuff constantly and and so to go from the paragon of decency and civility president obama to this you know outrageous monster and to not care to just simply brush it off and not care is a betrayal of the highest order and so it's just it's shocking but not surprising because again the republicans have been on this trajectory for quite a long time and um you know, this is the natural kind of end point. The final thing I want to make before we take a break and then pivot to the constructive side of this discussion is just to also, you know, reinforce the point that there is no affirmative conservative agenda. I mean, I laugh when these Republicans are saying the Democrats are taking congressional time to go away from the bread and butter kitchen table issues America wants to focus on. 
you know, when with this impeachment trials, and I'm going, when have you been interested in bread and butter issues that Americans want to focus on? You had full control of the government for the first two years, and all you did was pass a massive tax cut for rich and corporations. I mean, what is their agenda? How are they going to bring down drug prices? How are they going to expand health insurance? How are they going to bring down health care costs? How are they going to improve education? How are they going to tackle climate change? How are they going to tackle income inequality? How are they going to tackle, um, you know, gun deaths and murder, you know, and mayhem from, from the gun industry? They literally have nothing, right? The entire conservative agenda is give money to the rich, cut regulations so corporations can just trash the environment and sit back and put conservative justices in so that if the Democrats ever get power, they won't be able to overturn any of this stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the, the justices will overturn it and they'll, they won't be able to get it actually through the system. I mean, it's, a, it am it's amazing to me that they can just gaslight the nation even on that, that they even have an agenda. I mean, Mitch McConnell is famous for saying, I'm the grim reaper. I'm the guy that where legislation comes to die. And so the fact that these people are, are you know, have any, any claim to, you know, have a, a legitimate reason to be in power, they won't stand up for the Constitution, they won't stand up for the rule of law, and they have no legislative agenda. I mean, this is, it's really a level of depravity and cravenness that's, that's really hard to wrap your head around. But fortunately, there are some solutions. And after we get back, I will end on a positive note. Try and help me, Father. Won't you let me in? Liar! Oh, nobody believes me. Liar! I have stolen, stolen many times. Raise my voice in anger. Okay, so ending on a constructive note, and this will kind of lead into the antidotes for today. There was a really fascinating article in The Guardian about efforts in Michigan to uh, overturn the extreme partisan gerrymandering that the Republicans had put into effect there. And a citizen group, you know, started by some just ordinary citizens who were really fed up with the, the, the gerrymandering going on in their state. They organized, they got this on the, the ballot, and they, uh, they passed it. They passed it with over 60%. It's withheld uh, and withstood uh, multiple court challenges by Republicans. Of course, Republicans are fighting this because they don't want true democracy. They don't want the people to choose their politicians. They want to choose their own voters. And so Michigan was, you know, super gerrymandered where even if Democrats got the majority of the votes, the Republicans, you know, walked away with two thirds or three quarters of the, the legislators. So this Michigan example is great because these are just common, ordinary citizens 
who banded together to change the law and at this point have succeeded, again, against an all-out Republican onslaught. And the new map is going to be created for, um, for congressional districts by a panel of ordinary citizens, before Democrats, four Republicans, and five unaffiliated. And they're very confident that they're going to put together uh, you know, fair maps that really represent the will of the people. Now, this is interesting in context because, of course, the Roberts Court, the right-wing Roberts Court, in a 5-4 to four ruling just uh, recently, said that the federal government and the, the federal courts will have to say nothing about partisan gerrymandering, or really one of the most disgraceful cases um, the Supreme Court has ruled in this last decade, saying that basically, you know, we're not going to do anything. You, you guys have to do it. But the nice thing is some people are doing it. And this Michigan example is an example for, for the nation. And I think a lot of this is going to go viral in, the, in exactly the right way because majorities, strong majorities, 60, 70 percent, even many Republicans want real democracy, want true democracy. They, they, they're opposed to this gerrymandering. And so this is a really, really encouraging sign. It is going to be a huge struggle because we got to do this state by state. Um, but I think if we can build true democracy in America, then a lot of our worst problems will be solvable. Think about it, right? If we had had true democracy in America, George Bush would have never been president. Al Gore won the popular vote by a half million votes approximately. We would never have had the Iraq war. Gore, for all his faults, would definitely not have invaded Iraq after he was, you know, we were hit by the 9-11 bombers. So that huge debacle, probably the worst foreign policy disaster in our history, would not have happened. I trust the majority of Americans. Three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton rather than, um, than Trump. If we had real democracy in this country, the two worst presidents in our history Bush too and Trump would have never been president. So the majority is correct in America. The fact is we don't live in a majoritarian democracy. We live in essentially minority rule with the Electoral College and the Senate being the most egregious examples. So we're going to have to change those too. We need a big majority project in America um, and you know a, a majority democracy project. This is making me actually look a little closer at Pete Buttigieg as a candidate for president because he's really making that the centerpiece of his campaign, that he wants to do the structural change to help build a truly democratic America. And uh, I think this is what we need because, again, if we had true democracy in America, we could solve our issues. It's really the minority rule and the kind of lying and deception and gerrymandering and voter suppression by the Republican Party that's got us into this mess. So that is the the way out. Before I end here, I just want to say that, you know, a couple conservatives have actually shown some backbone and, and courage in this day and age. And that is um, in two in particular, David Frum and Bill Kristol. David Frum was one of George Bush's speechwriters. And I probably don't agree with him on, on a lot, but he's come out really against Trump and against the, the Republican Party. And he voted for Hillary Clinton, and I'm sure he will vote for the Democrat in 2020. Bill Kristol, you know, super hardcore neocon who I don't agree with on almost anything, has also joined that. And he's a never-Trumper, and I'm, I'm pretty sure will come out in favor of the Democratic nominee. 
And so there are a few good conservatives out there. There are way fewer than we need, but there are a few out there and we should give them credit. And, you know, if you have conservative um, Republican and conservative friends who take a stand against the Republican Party and and Trump in its current form, uh, I think, you know, that I guess that would be my specific antidote is to definitely praise them and thank them because we need more of them. Ultimately, we can't. Um, you know, have a, a functioning society if, you know, 40% of the country is functionally insane. We need all of us to be on the same team. And those who are you know, trying to stand up and make that move, I think, really do deserve um, a lot of credit. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And with that, have a great rest of the week. Take care.